What's up, everyone? I hope you are doing well, staying safe on Wednesday, November 4th, 2020. This is Rafael Garcia here with Schwan Humes to talk about a few things in the world of combat sports. This is episode number 184 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Uh, you can Check us out across multiple outlets as usual, MMARatings.net and .com. You can hit us up on all the podcast outlets such as Spotify, Anchor, YouTube, uh, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple, iTunes, and Breaker. Hit us up on all those spots. Check us out on social media as well in um, MMA, as MMA Ratings Net on Instagram and Twitter. But before I dive too much into the housekeeping and getting into the show, Sean, I want to let everybody know how you're doing today, man. Congratulations on the on the uh, new job, my friend. Yeah, it's not too bad. Uh, it's, it's weird. I work for an insurance life insurance company. I kind of I'm the in between guy for the agents, the company, and the other companies that they're getting certified with. So it's like nonstop texting, nonstop phone calls, nonstop emails, just. But, you know, job's a job. Not everybody has one right now, so I got no complaints. All right, man. How's, um, how's everything else going? Oh, it's fine. Uh, kids are doing all right. Um, you know, just doing school, trying to finish up this last year. As you know, I appeared on another podcast last, last week, so I need just to spread some of the MMA ratings love around, let people know where we're at, where to find us, and uh, if they're looking for another alternative, they can always come to us. Well, there you go. So you were on another show last week, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was a MMA, BJJ, and Life podcast. They kind of cover a broad scope of things, and uh, they just wanted me on to talk about Khabib, and I made sure to – they gave me quite a good intro on the show, talking about the work I've done as an analyst and MMA ratings. And at the end, they gave me a couple minutes to talk about what we do on the show and, and to shout out the show as well again. so What the hell did you cool. have to say about Life? Uh, do episode. they – uh, actually, the episode we talked about John Jones, we talked about Khabib, and then for some reason, since I do basketball too, they wanted to talk about comparing Jordan and LeBron. So that's what we did. Okay, well, I'm not even going to dive into that conversation. Not at yeah. all. Not today. So, but we will talk about a couple of different things in the world of MMA. Let's, but before we do that, actually, let's start with some boxing where. Last weekend, we had a hell of a knockout. Probably one of the best knockouts I've seen this year and in recent memory. We'll talk about that why in a second. But Javante Davis KO Leo Santa Cruz with a nasty uppercut, left-handed uppercut too as well. Shawan, let's talk about this KO first. Was this a knockout of the year, um, a, a, considered, a candidate for KO of, of the year when you look at all of 2020? Yeah, it really might be not just because of uh, the the quality, the highlight real aspect of it, uh, how long he he was on the ground, not moving, unfortunately after it, and the and the level of the fight. Even though some said Santa Cruz was too small to be fighting at this weight class, the fact of the matter is he's a four division, he's a four division champion trying to get his a championship in his fifth division. So he wasn't some kind of you know middle class fighter, a guy on losing streak, a guy who wasn't well accomplished and well traveled. He's probably, as far as on paper, the best opponent that um, Javante Davis has faced in, his, in the entirety of his pro career. 
So, I mean, it, when you put all the comments, it's not just the knockout, but it's who you knocked out, which adds to it. And he knocked out a guy who'd only lost once and he was a four division champion. And even now with all the belts out, out in the world, that still means something. So it really might be knockout out of the year as far as high level matchup, the severity, the, the violence and the aftermath of it. So before we talk about the value of this knockout, let's just talk about the aesthetic of it in and of itself. I am a fan of the uppercut, especially the left-handed uppercut. That's what I used to throw a lot um, when I would work on striking and stuff like that with, with the team I have here. How difficult is it to knock someone out, smooth out like he did on Saturday? Talk about the setup he was using as well, too, because after Santa Cruz ducks his head maybe like the second time, it's clear as day that uppercut was coming. He had caught him with it earlier in the fight too as well, but it just didn't do the type of damage we saw for the, for the KO. Talk about that setup. Well, the, the biggest thing that was happening is he'd been looking for the uppercut all fight long. Leo Santa Cruz is actually a little bit longer and taller than, than, than Gervonta. And what he does, he fight in a really, he was fighting in a crouch kind of hunched, hunched kind of stance. So basically he was low. He took away his length and his height. He made himself a better target by being in that stance. And Gervonta was setting it up early because he was going to the body, trying to get him to slow down, trying to get him to lean, trying to get him to overcommit so he could get that so he could get that shot in. He'd thrown it. I want to say he caught him with it early. He threw it three or four other times, but Santa Cruz had been ready for it. And the, the reason it worked in this instance was because instead of being an open ring where there's some space and you can take angles, you, you have more room to move your arms to, to parry or get out of the way or jump in or jump out of range. In this case, he had him up against the ropes. And Leo Santa Cruz was stuck in the ropes, basically had his back to the ropes and trapped. So when you're in that position, he only had so many ways he could go. He, he only could really go one way. He could only really throw a certain amount of shots. And from that point, Gervonta saw it, and he countered it. He, I mean, if he would have been out in the open ring where he could move around a little bit and switch up the variety of his shots, he had better selection, he wouldn't have got hit with that shot the way he got hit. But he was on the ropes, and he was trying to fight his way off. And instead of jabbing his way out of and pivoting out real quick or landing a quick flurry and then getting right out, he got a little bit greedy. So he really sat down in his shots and he was opening up on him. And when he threw that threw the wrong shot, Gervonta just stepped over, hit him with the uppercut, and it was over. But if he hadn't been on the ropes, I don't think that he would have got caught quite like that, quite, quite as cleanly as the way he did or really got caught at all because essentially he had taken that punch out of the equation of the fight um, probably through rounds two through almost, what, six round when it ended? He he'd, he had found an answer to neutralize it. So let's start the conversation on Javante Davis as well, too, because that's pretty much the focal point of that knockout there. Um, what does this win do for him? Because he's a name that I feel like boxing fans know, but sports fans do not. And he's often presented as if that's the case. But if we're really talking about it, I mean, we know Floyd, we know Canelo, we know Manny, we know Connor. We don't know Javante Tank as much. What does this win do for him and how much does it elevate him to that spot where maybe fight fans begin to pay to watch one of, or not just fight fans, but sports fans want to begin paying to see him compete? Well, the thing about it is Floyd's attached himself to him. It's his guy. And Floyd makes it a point to show up and speak on his fights and be very, a very public presence in any any fight he has. So it adds to his crossover appeal, because people naturally assume, okay, okay, Floyd says he's the best ever. A lot of people believe that. And Floyd keeps saying, this is the next young guy. So a lot of people, are, our eyes are drawn to it just by what Floyd's saying. Gervonta's a fairly popular fighter. I mean, he, 
he's had a lot of his fights recently have been sold out pre- previous to COVID. And the biggest thing that this fight does is a pay-per-view fight. And I don't know that it's going to sell that well. It was a very good card. But the thing about it is it wasn't a fight where you were left wanting. In the Lomachenko-Tiafimo um, fight, that was the first half of the fight was boring. Loma was trying to get away, engage him, pick him apart later on, and just was really defensive and then turned it on halfway through the fight. In this fight, from round one to, to the time the fight ended, it was heavy fire, heavy counters, heavy leads, a lot of physicality, a lot of bumping and pushing, trying to back somebody off or trying to push somebody, push somebody back. There wasn't really any lulls in the action. Leo Santa Cruz came right in, firing shots. Tanks are digging to the body immediately, looking looking for the big KOs, trying to set up the uppercut and the big right, right hand from the from the word go. So basically, you had all, all the action. It was an all-action fight. It was back and forth. Leo Santa Cruz didn't just get wiped out one shot. He was given as good as he was taken for the most part. Um, and then he, he capped it off with a spectacular KO in a fight where it looked like Leo Santa Cruz might have a good chance to start taking over later in the fight. So it kind of checked all the boxes. Good undercard, two guys who are in their prime. Both guys were in their prime. Both guys are accomplished as far as world champions. It was an action-level fight, and it had a dynamic finish. So out of all the fights we've had recently with big names, they haven't always been competitive, and they always haven't had that punctuation mark put onto it. This fight gave you six rounds of high-level, high-action content, and then it gave you basically a highlight reel ending. So this does a lot for him because it makes him stand out. People are still talking about that knockout. It's three or four days later. They're still talking about it on ESPN and Fox News and all over sports. Even in some MMA circles, they're talking about it. And that's the kind of stuff, those viral moments, those big moments against quality opposition is what helps justify some of the hype that's behind somebody. And so now you have Davis being talked about, somebody who could go stay at 130 or move it to 135 to fight Teofimo Lopez or somebody else. So he's the talk of the town now because of Floyd, the way Floyd built him. And the, and the fact they picked an opponent who was going to bring the best out of them as far as being involved in an action fight. That's what really separates that you have two high-level guys, and they're in a high-level, highly violent fight. So that's what people want to see. As much as everybody loves the sweet science, people want to see guys going forward. People want to see guys trying to win. And that's what they got out of both guys. Both guys gave it a tremendous account of themselves. And that puts him a leg up on Teofimo Lopez. Even though Teofimo beat the better opposition, it wasn't a better fight. So what are we going to do next with um, Javante Davis? Like, where does he go with this win? Um, well, now, I, I, Floyd's goal is to basically make him so famous where he's got the hype machine behind him and he can say he's the best and he can pick and choose when he's going to fight people because as far as the masses are concerned or as far as the money makers are concerned, he's the best. So what I think is going to happen, the best option I've been hearing going around is having fight Gary Rose. Russell Jr. Gary Russell Jr. is one of the longest standing champions in boxing right now. He's only lost once to Lomachenko by decision, and they're both from that Maryland area. So if they if they can get people back in arenas, they could probably have a sellout. If it's you know six months from a year from now, they could probably have a, they could probably have a sellout because that's that would be very big for that part of the town to be a very big story. And even though that guy would be Gary Russell Jr. would be moving up in weight class for it. He's a guy who's only lost once, and he lost to one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. And otherwise, he hasn't even been close to losing, and, he, and he's beat a litany of high-level, world-class championship fighters. And if Tank stays at 130, it's a perfect fight for him. It's, the guy's had some beef with Floyd. The guy's had some beef with 
Chang, they're from the same area. They're the best two fighters from that area of this generation. It's a perfect situation to set up a fight that also would have, be a lot of high, would be very high action. You'd have a guy who's a Olympic level boxer, world class speed, and Skirvonta Davis, who's a world class puncher with some world class athleticism. It makes a lot of sense on paper. Um, I don't think he fights Teofimo Lopez or Devin Haney because those guys are with other promoters, and there's no way he's taking that fight unless he's the A side. And in the case of those guys, they're not giving up being the A side. They still, it's still important to them to feel like they're in control of their running things as much as it is to get the fight. And um, they're not going to let Davis dictate to them unless it's for an obscene amount of money. And I don't think Floyd wants those fights for him right now. I think right now the best fight for him or the fight that's most likely to happen is going to be with Gary Russell Jr. And he's probably going to stay at 130 for at least another maybe two, one, two, probably possibly three more fights. And then he might consider moving up to 135. But there's no rush. Floyd's got a master plan for him, and Floyd is not going to be let him be bullied or, or leaned on or pressed on by the media or the fans into moving any faster than he wants him to. So uh, I, I would say I think Garrett Russell Jr. is next. That's, that's the best fight. That's the biggest fight he has right now, unless he goes straight for Tiafimo or Devin Haney, which I know he's not going to. I guess Ryan Garcia is out there, but I can't see that fight happening right now either. So... The last question we have in reference to this, um, because we've seen a lot of exceptional boxing over the last two months or so. Uh, when was yeah. that? I mean, it feels like it was the, the, the Teofimo fight was two months ago, but it was really only like two weeks. Is this a, I don't want to say a resurgence, but are these the types of fights back to back that can draw a resurgence in boxing and get more attention on the sport, especially as we continue to deal with less things being on TV because of the pandemic. Well, yeah, because, I mean, boxing is, since, since it's a smaller niche, just like MMA, you can hold more events. It's, easy, it's easier to hold a boxing event than it is to hold the NBA, NFL, or any other kind of event. So they have an advantage as far as the numbers and, and the logistics of it. Secondly, the most important thing is, I've said this before in MMA, it's not just having important fights, it's having fights that are good. Having a super important fight that it doesn't have a lot of drama doesn't have a lot of action doesn't do anybody any favors and as as well as the lomachenko tiafima fight ended the first six rounds just weren't competitive it's just us watching and waiting watching and waiting and and that kind of stuff draws away fans because fans want to see you see the two guys who are best in the division and then you see one guy essentially you want to say hesitant if not scared to engage It, it it puts a it casts kind of a shadow over the event. It casts a shadow over the fight. So you don't just need important fights. You need guys in their prime, guys who still have something to offer, and guys who are, unfortunately, coming to fight. Even if it's one guy's a boxer, one guy has to be trying to impose his will to make that fight happen. And recent, and back-to-back, we've had two very, very high-profile fights. And even though Teofimo Lomachenko was boring at first, it closed well and had a lot of drama. In this fight, you just got all nonstop action, and you go got a fantastic finish so if they keep making fights that people not just are important fights but they keep making fights that people want to see you're not going to be able to do anything but have boxing become more competitive and become more of a competitor with mixed martial arts because people are just getting the fights they see they don't even care about titles can you give me the fights i want to see can you guarantee me action can you guarantee me high level guys facing high level guys even if it's the guy i don't know if it's going to be a high quality fight i want to 
see it. And and just this weekend, we had other high-quality fights. You had Usyk fighting. Uh, I think the weekend before, you had Chocolate Tito fighting, and it was a very well-contested fight. The thing is, putting on important fights, but more importantly, putting on fights that are well-contested and exciting. That's what keeps fans in there. And we don't need the hardcore fans. You need to, if I'm sitting down with your casual friends, and you say, hey, watch this fight, you want something that's going to put enough inch physicality and pace where your friends are going to be like, oh, my God, when's this guy fighting again? That's that's how grass. That's how it spreads, giving people high quality, violent fights, and that's what they've been giving them the past, I'd say, almost month and a half. It's been fight after fight after fight of high quality, very competitive, well contested fights. So you talked about violent, well contested fights, and I think we kind of had one at UFC Fight Night 181, where Anderson Silva was stopped by Uriah Hall, I think, in the third round of their fight and this was big for a couple of different reasons but before we kind of dive into the issue with Anderson Silva I want to start with the winner Uriah Hall and pay the respects where it's needed there you know Uriah he's an enigma and I want to talk about why in a second but first let's talk about what this fight means for him he was talking about it as if he is now a title challenger I totally disagree with that um, I mean, obviously, he's already lost to Paulo Costa. I think he loses to Jared Whitaker and Robert, um, excuse me, Jared Kennedy. He's, already lost, he's, already, he's already lost to Robert Whitaker and Derek Brown. I, I forgot he did lose to Robert Whitaker already. You're right about that. So what does this win really do for him? I think it has really little value at all. And if, if anything, he needs to buck up and get right back in there. Maybe try to pick off a fight with, with Darren Till. If him and that fight, your Yoel Romero falls through, like what are and I think Darren Till's are Darren Till doesn't have a fight yet. So, what are your thoughts about what's next for Uriah Hall and how does he really get the most out of this kind of maligned win? Yeah, the thing about it is, it's a good win because even though Anderson hasn't been winning recently, there hasn't been any fight where he's really looked bad at. He didn't look bad against Israel Desanya. He beat Derek Brunson. He got dropped a couple of times against Michael Bisping, but he still looked good in that fight, and he looked good against Cannoneer until his leg got injured. So Anderson's managed to fight basically elite guys, because that's all he's been fighting, mostly elite guys, and he hasn't been stopped as of yet. So Uriah Hall stopping him does have some, does give him a little bit of authority, gives him a little bit of cachet, because nobody's been able to stop Anderson yet. I mean, like, really stop him, not an injury, but actually hit him and stop him clean. Nope, Adesanya didn't do it. Brunson didn't do it. Bisping didn't do it. Cannoneer didn't do it. Hall does. Hall did. So you can't take that away from him. The thing about it was Hall didn't look great up until the point of him stopping him. I mean, he didn't look dynamic. He didn't look like Anderson didn't belong in the cage with him. It was a fairly contested, closely contested fight. And I, and I would almost say that if he didn't knock Anderson out, Silva out, there's a good chance Anderson Silva wins that fight on decision. So... It gives him some cachet because he it's going to be Anderson's final fight in the UFC, and he knocked him out. But given his resume and the fact that he's already lost to Brunson, and given the fact that he's already lost to Robert Whitaker, like you said, he has some work to do. Because not only was it he didn't put a punctuation mark on this in a truly dynamic performance, because this, this wasn't an all-time performance at all. This wasn't even an all-time fight. It doesn't give him as much credit as you may think it does. And it brings up the same problems he's always had. He's had a hesitancy in pulling the trigger. He has a hesitancy in using the full range of his athletic skills. He's had a hesitancy in using the full range of his dynamic offensive skills. He's done that in every fight. He has these lulls where nothing happens. And if this was a three-round fight, Anderson would have won it. If it was a three-round fight, 
Anderson won it. So yeah, it kind of it puts him in the news cycle. It might move him up a little bit, but after what Dana White said about him, basically cutting out his legs underneath him, and and we you really look at the fight closely, it wasn't anything that's going to give him a big jump start in his career. We still don't know if he can be a killer. We still know that he has mental lapses. We still know that he gets a little hesitant and and pressuring and letting his hands go. And that's been the story on him for the past eight years. So I don't know that it told us anything new, and I don't know that it gave him a new lease on life as far as his career. I, I, I'd almost say he's maybe one spot better, if not in the same spot he was in before. You know, I truly um, agree with that as well. And I want to talk about Anderson Silva next because my rant is going to be mostly about this idea of his retirement because it should be it should be coined as his UFC retirement. Okay, Dana White has gone on record saying that he's not going to book um, Anderson Silva in any more fights. No problem, I get it. He he keeps booking Diego Sanchez in fights, and he will book BJ Penn in a fight if he could. But that's neither here and, nor there. Anderson's look better than both of them. Anderson's look better than both of them. Exactly, he looked better in both. So I'm not even going to go there. But it is fundamentally wrong because. They still owe Anderson Silva one more fight. So either they pay him out for that fight or they're going to drag his contract on in a way that they don't intend on allowing him to, to fight. They, and he either has to buy himself out or sit at home because he's not going to be um, fighting anytime soon. So, yes, he'll still get money put in his pocket because they have to compensate you after, I think, three fights have passed, something like that, something along, the, along those lines. But the promoter should not be able to retire a fighter. The fighter should be able to retire themselves. And you and before people pop up and want to say, oh, well, Dana's just protecting himself, protecting Anderson Silva from himself, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. That's never the case. They don't give a fuck about that because they see guys get crucified. And we see guys get crucified in Octagon every night. We saw a dude tonight get his face front kicked off and he, and he hits the mat like he was a dead body. We see this time and time, week after week. It is unfortunate yeah. to see Anderson Silva re- basically get retired like this, even if he, even if he shouldn't be fighting any longer. It's his position to determine if he wants to continue to compete or not. Yeah, the one thing I'll say is Anderson Silva could still compete. I, I know a lot. Of, it's not going to be a popular thought, but the fact of the matter is, in what fight have we ever seen? Have we seen him getting dominated? like Carlos Condit, seen him gotten dominated like Matt Brown, seen him getting dominated like Diego Sanchez or BJ Penn. That's never happened. Even in this fight, he was not getting dominated. He got over-aggressive, started reaching, he got countered, he got finished. Now, you could say Uriah Hall didn't really tee off on him, but everybody knows if you're coming into a shot and somebody's countering you, that maximizes the power. Uriah Hall is no, is a big hitter. He's always been one. And up until the point that he ran into the shot or, or kind of got walked into the shots, Anderson's chin was holding up well to Uriah's kicks. His body was holding up. His leg was holding up. His chin was holding up. And Uriah is a a fairly big hitter as far as the division goes. So it's not like Anderson's chin is completely gone. And while his speed and reflexes aren't there, Anderson has all the little tricks, the little Wing Chun things to distract you so that you don't want to throw a one-two because you think he's going to catch on his hands when he extends his hand a little bit where he switches stances to buy himself enough time. Anderson Silva has enough experience in multiple martial arts. He has enough poise from being in the cage so often and from being at a world-class level that he doesn't he doesn't have to panic. He can be calm. He can save energy. He can walk a guy 
Yeah, he can be technical. He can be defensively sound. And he showed all that in that fight. So Anderson's still capable of, I would say, beating guys who aren't. He, maybe he can't beat elite guys anymore, but he can beat guys who aren't elite anymore. I still favor him over, over Luke Rockhold in middleweight, and I favor him over Chris Weidman right now. It's just a matter of the UFC doesn't see a usage for him, and he doesn't bring out about enough money to make it worth their while. So they're essentially trying to retire him. But Dana doesn't have his best interest at heart. You can't be a guy who's a fight promoter and tell him you have the best interest of any Everybody in heart because you're promoting an event where people regularly get knocked out, broken arms, broken limbs, and have life-altering damage done to them on every event you have. So his, it's not altruistic. He just feels Anderson's not worth the bang. The bang isn't worth the buck anymore. And they pay Anderson Silva a lot of money to show up. So he's just basically cutting it off at the cutting it off and saying, "All right, I'm not going to use him anymore. He's going to go somewhere else." And I don't. I don't think he should have that control if he wants to retire. Let him not let him fight the UFC. Tear up his contract, pay him off, let him go. He shouldn't have to pay it off. He shouldn't have to sit out. He shouldn't have to do anything. He did his job. He showed up for fights. He carried the organization for years. Let them, if you don't want to give him his last fight, let the man go and let him go about, do about his business. I mean, you've already buried him saying he shouldn't fight. And if any organization lets him in there, it's disgusting. It's a travesty. I mean, you've already tried to bury the man. Let, let him live. So let me ask this question here. Would you pay... Or would you be interested to see a fight such as Anderson Silva versus Fedor in Bellator? I mean, honestly, even though it'd be a freak show fight, it'd be interesting. The way Fedor's chin is, you never know. Anderson would probably take him out. The way Anderson's kind of lost the step physically, Fedor could probably get his hands on him, land a big bomb on him. You know, anything's possible. And since they're both, and I mean, to be honest, Anderson's looks a little bit better than, than Fedor, but Fedor's a little bit bigger, probably stronger. It's a little bit harder. It'd be an interesting matchup, and it, and it would sell to casual fans. The Spider versus Fatal. You can't tell me that would do great ratings for Bellator. You can't tell me right now Scott Coker is, isn't salivating, hoping that he gets that fight, pleading that he gets that fight. I mean, they have a lot, a lot of guys in Bellator that, that that are past their prime who I believe could, could make big fights with Anderson and Bellator, and it would sell, and Anderson would probably win him. Vanderlei Silva, he'd beat him. Quentin Rampage Jackson, he would beat him. Me- uh, so, uh, Fedor, it might be close because Fedor is, still has has enough to, to submit him or take him on the ground and finish him, but I, I'd probably favor Anderson in that fight too. I mean, there's three fights. I mean, if you want to get really talk crazy, maybe they can bring Chael out for a, th- for a trilogy match, even though Chael lost the first two. They could probably make some money off a trilogy match with Chael and Anderson. There's a lot of things you could do with Anderson Silva, given his character, his personality, and his fan base. The UFC just doesn't think it's worth them paying him the money they pay him. Bellator would, though. Bellator would in a second. Do you think people would, would watch that fight, though? Uh, people tune in to watch Tito Ortiz versus Chael Sonnet. You tell me they wouldn't turn to see Anderson versus, versus Vanderlei? Or Anderson versus Quentin Rampage? Or Anderson versus Chael again? Or Anderson versus Fedor? Uh, man, they, I, I'd bet the house house on it i would bet the house on it they they would pay for it casuals would maybe maybe hard but even hardcores will watch it even though it's it's years late they'll still pay to watch it because it's still the fight they wanted to see true i'm not going to disagree with you on that there sir um let's talk about a couple of different things from this car bryce mitchell picked up a solid win uh he picked up a solid win over Andre Feely. He has some rough patches on, on, on the feet. Uh, Feely, you know, he did what he needed to do there, but 
you know, he continues to not. Andre Feely is is a uh, is a guy who kind of like Johnny Hendricks without the title run. You know, he gets to a point where it's like, oh, this guy looks really good, but then he lets you down over and over again. Talk about this fight he, here and um, why this is an important win for Bryce Mitchell. Feely is an underachiever. Feely was supposed to be one of the guys in the division. We were told that he was this great athlete with this great striking boxing background and wrestling, and he was going to be a future division. He's never been able to really turn the corner and be consi- consistently successful in the UFC. In fact, he's no more for the highlight reel finish to a loss to Yara Rodriguez than he's known for any win he's ever had. He's just never been able to put it all together. And against Bryce Mitchell, you saw another example of it. He was able to defend takedowns. He was able to kind of control them a little bit defensively where he wasn't just getting submitted or beaten up on the ground. But no matter what he did defensively, he was never able to build off, to build off his defense enough to punish Mitchell or to really put him in any dangerous spots. He hit him a couple times. He backed him off a couple times. He, he, you know, put a couple shots together on him, but you never felt like Mitchell was close to being finished or Mitchell had really lost control of the fight. There were moments where the fight w- wasn't completely in his control, but I never got the impression that he was close to taking over the fight or breaking Mitchell down. He, he had enough veteran experience and intelligence to make it tough, but at no point could he do anything to remotely put the fight in his favor. I mean, yeah, you say he, lost, he won the second round. That's fine, but... Just, did you ever really feel like he was close to finishing Mitchell? I didn't. I didn't really feel that he, he took the fight over. I felt like he had some moments he's able to control the pace a little bit. Um, Mitchell, he's a great grappler. He's got physicality. He's tough. He's strong. He's got to work on his striking transitions. He's, he's too predictable with his injuries. He's too predictable with his takedowns. And he gets by on pressure. And that's fine. But he, even if you're a super durable guy, you're not going to be able to get by on that against the very best in the world. That's going to come back to bite you. So he's got to start working on jabbing, fainting, cleaning up his footwork a little bit, and especially working on his defensive footwork. So if he does get pushed back, he's not in a position where he's going to be eating numerous shots. Because once again, against the wrong fighter, that, that's going to be all she wrote. So it was a competitive fight. It showed Mitchell's class. It showed his, his dedication to grappling. It showed how much better a wrestler and grappler he is. But it also showed that he needs a little bit more work on his entries, and he needs a little bit work, more work on transitioning between ranges. If he could do that a little bit more, he could feign a little more and establish that jab. I don't know that Feely would have done anything to him. But in some instances, he was just lunging for strikes, trying to get it, get into spots where he could get a takedown, or he was lunging for takedowns. And Feely was reading him and just countering him. But uh, and, and that 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 only works so long. You, even Khabib had to round out his skill set enough to set up the wrestling. And set, set up the grappling. He couldn't just rely exclusively on getting his hands on you and launching you through the air. At a certain level, the guys get too good, and that's just not enough. You have to have another trick. You have to have a plan B to get you right back to your plan A. Right now, Bryce Mitchell's plan B is just aggression. And if Feely was a sharper puncher and had a little bit more confidence and could stand his ground, and he, he, he would have countered him, and he could have finished him. But Feely was so fearful of the takedown and so fearful of getting in a grappling exchange that he kind of gave up ground, and, and, and didn't open up as much as he wanted to because he, was, he, he didn't want any parts of Bryce Mitchell on the ground. No scrambles, no anything. He didn't want any parts of him on the ground. And that allowed Bryce Mitchell to win the fight, basically on aggression. Just basically aggression and fear of takedown. That, that's what allowed him to succeed. Um, it was a good fight. I don't know that Mitchell's ready for a top 10 guy yet, um, but he's definitely on, on his way. And um, as far as Feely, he's a great talent, but he, he just is not been what we were sold as him being he, he's not the future of the division and he, and he hasn't been the entire time he's been in it 
where would you put um, Bryce Mitchell up against next? Oh man, uh, I you know what? I really don't know. I I, I really I really don't know. I'd have to look over it again. I, I'm not sure he's going to want somebody higher up, but I, I I still feel there's no need to rush him. I think they should just take their time. Maybe somebody a little bit above Philly. I guess you could. I don't know. Yair Rodriguez, Yair Rodriguez is kind of dangerous. Yair Rodriguez, uh, Alex Gutierrez. 45, right? So yeah. looking at the rankings, he's ranked 14 right now. Um, while they have him above Edson Barbosa, that would be a dangerous, dangerous fight for him. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't have him fight Ryan Hall because I think he, there's no way in fuck's hell he's going to be able to fight Ryan Hall like that. Um, nope. Shea Burgos, maybe? Isn't Dan Dan Ige fighting um, coming up? I could see Ige maybe, but the, I don't know. You want you want fights that are going to answer questions and force him to improve. I don't know that you Ige's know, skill set does either. You know, someone you want to keep him as far fuck away from, Sadiq Youssef. He's ranked at number ten. Yeah. I think you want to keep Bryce Mitchell far as hell away from that fight there too. To be to be honest, the best the best fights that would really force him to have to grow and show something different would probably be Barboza or Hall. Those would probably be the best. And I don't think Hall's rank, I don't know that Hall's ranked high enough for him to fight, but as far as a fight with interest that would force him to show more because he can't just rely on his wrestling and grappling, Hall would force him to develop some other layers or show some other layers in his striking. And against Edson Barboza, he'd have to show some layers because Edson can put you out at any moment. So he'd, have, he'd be forced to develop better entries because if he enters or exits in, in a sloppy manner, I mean, Edson went three, four rounds with Khabib. He can handle it. He'd seen what Bryce Mitchell had. He's, he's, seen, he's seen the best version of it. So Bryce Mitchell wouldn't just instantly intimidate him and instantly take over the match or instantly control pace. So I think those two fights would be the best fights for him. Um, in my opinion right now, that, those would be the best fights. I don't, I don't know that he deserves somebody in the, hot, in the top 10 right now. That wasn't a dominant enough win for me to say a guy in the top 10 is who he can demand. All right, man. That's some good stuff there. That's some good stuff there. Um, so I want to talk about this fight card this weekend that we have. And the main thing I want to talk about from the main event is it's interesting how this main event is no longer an important fight. And we had Thiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira fighting at 205. And this looked like a very solid chance for this to be a title eliminator, especially for Diago Santos. Everyone was expecting if he comes out with a big win, he would get a title shot. But lo and behold, Israel Adesanya is moving up from 185 to fight Jan Blachowicz for the 205 belt. How would you feel getting ready for a main event fight that suddenly doesn't mean anything, Shawan? I mean, it means something. Because whoever loses is going to take two or three steps back in the pecking order. It just it just it doesn't have the meaning it used to have as far as being a number one contenders matchup. And to be honest, I don't know that it should have because Santos hasn't Santos' last fight was what against Jones, and then he hasn't fought since. So I mean, if anything, it's been a big it's a big risk for Teixeira, who's been consistently putting wins together for what the past two years. I think he's only lost one or two fights in the past two or three years. So it's a risk for him because he's built himself up. He's put himself in position to be a top potential title contender. And now he's going to have to risk that against a guy who hasn't fought in almost two years, you know. And, and uh, in, in that regard, he 
to the, nothing really should have been guaranteed from this fight, because, except for anybody except for Glover, because he was on a he he, he had to put enough decisive wins together where you could, could you could talk about him being a potential challenger. Mm-hmm. Santos, his biggest thing was losing to John Jones, whether he thought he won or lost. The fact is, he lost and he hadn't fought for two years, so he's been living off the hype of contesting John Jones in a tough fight. And I'm not saying history would repeat itself, but we saw what happened to the last guy who made a rep off of having a tough fight with John Jones. And the next fight he had, he got totally, he got wiped out. He got blown out of the cage. Um, the one thing that I find interesting about this fight is they keep putting Glover Teixeira in, this, in different versions of the same fight for the past three or four years. He's facing a younger, more athletic, dynamic guy who should be able to finish him on the feet with any one shot. And his only way of winning is to weather the storm, get his hands on him, take him down, and break him down with strikes or finish him with submissions. That's been his last six fights in the UFC. And now fighting Diego Santos, it's the same thing. Diego Santos is a dynamic, explosive, offensive-based fighter who's not a great grappler, not a great defensive wrestler, not even really technical striker, who should wipe Glover out in a round and round, half a round, round, round and a half. But if Glover takes him down and secure his position, Glover's either going to submit him or beat him within an inch of his life. And that's been the story of the last four, five, six fights he's had in the UFC. So once again, they found another opponent who's dangerous in a different way, but basically has a narrative of, I'm either going to kill Glover or Glover is going to find some way to, to take me down and then he's going to kill me. That's, it's like the same fight, just different names. Different names, same fight for the past three or four years. Yeah, for Glover I'm, I'm interested there. in, in- I'm interested in that fight because I think it's going to be violent as hell. And that's kind of what intrigues me. But outside of that, nothing else on this card really stands out across the board. The only, Sean, is, the is only, there anything that the stands only, out to you? Yeah, the fight with Gedalia and uh, with Jan, I don't know the say her name, Yanni Shiyosan, Jan, um, that's, a, that's a big fight in that division because uh, Jan is coming up. She's got a lot of momentum behind her. I think she's won five Fights in a row. She beat Kovacavid. She beat Angela Hill. Um, she's she's basically just bullied these girls in the UFC. They haven't had anything for her physicality. They haven't had anything for her high her pressure. They haven't had anything for her volume or her power athleticism. She's basically had her way since she's got in here, and she's worked her way all the way to the number eight in the, st- in the rankings. Whoever wins this fight is probably maybe a fight away from a title fight. They might not be. They might be the next title challenger if they win this fight. And Gedalia's been been a little bit hit or miss. She hasn't been as dynamic as she's been in her prime, but she's been putting wins together. She's worked her way back into contention. And whoever wins this fight could essentially be challenging the champion in the next six months. So it's an important fight for the division. And it's going to be a chance. It's probably going to be Claudia's last, last legitimate shot at a world title in this division. So it's a fight she can't afford to lose. If if Yon loses this fight, then it's the young lion who got who got upset by a veteran who sees it and experience, who's seen it all, who's fought the best and beat the best and lost to the best. So it doesn't set her back. It's just a learning experience which will help her grow, find out where she's weak, find out where she's strong, reassess and come back stronger. For Claudia, a loss, much less a stoppage loss, is something I don't know that she recovers from this point in her career. The Angela Hill fight, even though I thought she won it, was roundly contested by people. She had a win over Randa Marcos that didn't set the world on fire. She lost to Ansaroff. She beat Esparza in another fight that didn't set the world on fire. 
So she hasn't looked spectacular in her newest, in the newest version of Claudia Cadella, Claudia Cadella 4.0, 3.0, whatever you want to call it. So this is a very important fight. This, this is a fight I don't think she can afford to lose. But unfortunately, I think it's a fight that she very well may lose because she's not going to have those huge physical advantages. I don't know that the punching power is going to carry. I don't know that she can dictate pace against his opponent either. She she has enough experience where she could fight smart and control her, but Claudia is just prone to making some really, really dumb mistakes in fights. And if she makes one against this girl, this isn't Angela Hill. This woman doesn't have any fear. This woman is willing to take three to get to land one. And if she pushes the pace, I, I don't think Claudia has the technical footwork to slow a pace. And even with their athleticism, this girl's athletic enough that Claudia can't control her. So it's going to take a really, almost a pitch-perfect fight from her to win this. And Claudia Cadelia has never been able to fight a pitch-perfect fight. Even at her best, she has never fought a pitch-perfect clean fight. And, and this is, it's, it's, it's exactly what she's going to need on Saturday night to win. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing how this fight goes down as well, too. I have those same concerns about Cadelia as you do. At some point in time, the wheels got to start coming off. And even though she's transferred over to the Mark Henry Ricardo Almeida camp, you have to wonder what she will look like going. Because, like I said, I think she lost that fight to Angela Hill as well. So let's see what this looks like. They're they're trying to control her output a little bit, trying to make her fight smarter. So everybody's like, her cardio's gotten better. It hasn't gotten better. She's not throwing her as much. She's not throwing as hard earlier. Yeah, she, she's, she's not trying going to for takedowns as much. Yeah, as, uh, as well. She's she's trying to pick her spots against Angela Hill. That'll work. Cause Angela Hill's afraid of being taken down against Randall Marcus. That'll work. Cause Randall Marcus is prone to make mistakes. You just I don't care if she's dominating you. She'll give you something. This girl is not prone to mistakes. Is not going to get tired and is not going to let her off the hook. She's not going to be able to scare her off. She's either going to have to finish her or she's going to have to be pitch perfect for three rounds straight. I don't know that she can do it. And coach. Only takes you so far. You know, she might have hit her limit. All the people with her heyday are slowing down and starting to retire. Is Claudia Cadelia going to be the next one? And I mean, you know, we see these Chinese fighters coming over and fighting so well. So let's see how um, she looks here. I think this is going to be a big fight. Um, Schwan, why don't you let everybody know what you're working on, man, while we go ahead and close out today's show? It's been a hell of a week. Still, we got we still got the uh, election stuff we're still talking about. So let everybody know what you're working on, man. Um, I actually did an article for another site, MM, for Severe MMA. It's an Irish MMA site uh, talking about why Sinead Kavanaugh and Chris Cyborg should be the next featherweight title fight they have there. Kind of a technical business and strategical breakdown, why it makes sense on all three levels. Um, I'm working on a another fight piece. I think it's going to be for Black Lightning is what Michael wanted to do. And, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to talk to fans, you know, see what what fight or what article they like to see me break down or, or fighter they like to see me discuss, you know, because I want to give them something where they feel like whatever I'm writing is kind of what they, they want to see. I want to make sure they get value. They're giving, it, giving us their time. Subscriptions have been up. I want them to make sure they're getting what they want out of the show, and what, what they want out of what I'm writing and not just writing just to write what I want to write because without them, the show, the site, my articles don't do anything. So I want to make sure I'm giving them what they want. Good stuff there, my friend. Um, I am covering as much professional wrestling as possible. I'm going to be seeping back into MMA as well, too, along with this show. So keep an eye out on that. But this is another tough week. We're making it through. Lockdown 2020 continues. 
Um, stay safe out there, everyone, especially with this election drawing on. Not be that. I keep telling people. I keep telling all these people. Y'all need to. I know everybody's like, oh, I just grabbed my gun. Y'all really need to learn how to fight because all these people who talk about, oh, the racists and the Proud Boys, that's what they do on a regular basis. And I know it sounds really cool to say I would just slap the crap out of somebody who disrespected me. But if you haven't been in any sort of physical altercation, whether it's sparring or a fight or amateur fight or street fight, you have no idea how you're going to respond. And if you just go around randomly shooting people, you're going to jail. But you do, you do have the option of defending yourself. And a lot of people who are on our side do not know how to. They're waiting for the police to save them, and the police ain't doing nothing. I'm not going to get caught slipping. I know you ain't going to get caught slipping, but there's a big percentage of us who are going to be when they run up on the wrong person and find out they don't, they're not prepared for what, what, how it escalates. And I, I've seen it happen repeatedly right now. I was friends. Oh, if I saw these guys, I, what would you do? You, you can't fight, dude. You've been in fights since like 10th grade. You're like 30. What are you going to do if they do something to you? Uh, it, it's just a rant I always have on Twitter. Learn how to defend yourself. Teach your kids how to defend yourself. There's really no excuse not, not to know how. That's just me. That's how I look at things. There's really no excuse, my friend. So we're going to go ahead and close out, everyone. As always, thank you again for another week of the MMA Ratings Podcast. We'll be back next week to talk about enough from the world of MMA. I'll be back this week, maybe, to talk about pro wrestling. There's a lot going on there as well. And thank you again, Schwan, for another great episode. And I'll talk to you next week. Yeah, take it easy, sir.